turn uh, to Acts 15, and we want to look at the Jerusalem Council. Now, we were just in Lystra, Iconian Lystra Derby, yesterday, or this past Wednesday. And so we want to really pick up where we left off from that. Um, but here we are back in Jerusalem. Acts 15, we want to read the first 35 verses. So if you will, stand with me. Reverend Scott's word. I finally remembered to wear the portable, Don, and I even turned it on. Look at there. If you believe in miracles, you do now. Speaking of miracles, let's read God's word. Luke writes on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, verse 1. Some men came down from Judea and began teaching the brethren, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. When Paul and Barnabas had great dissension and debate with them, the brethren determined that Paul and Barnabas and some others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders concerning this issue. Therefore, being sent on their way by the church, they were passing through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and were bringing great joy to all the brethren. When they arrived at Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all that God had done with them. But some of the sect of the Pharisees who had believed stood up saying, It is necessary to circumcise them and to direct them to observe the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders came together to look into this matter. After there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brethren, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, testified to them, giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he also did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why do you put God to the test by placing upon the neck of the disciples a yoke which neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way as they also are. All the people kept silent. They were listening to Barnabas and Paul as they were relating with signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. After they had stopped speaking, James answered, saying, Brethren, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first concerned himself about taking from among the Gentiles a people for his name. With this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. After these things, I will return, and I will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins, and I will restore it, so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from long ago. Therefore, it is my judgment that we do not trouble those who are turning to God from among the Gentiles, but that we write to them that they abstain from the things contaminated by idols, from fornication, from and from what is strangled and from blood. From Moses, from ancient generations, has in every city those who preach him, since he is read in the synagogues every Sabbath. Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them to send to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, Judas called Barsabbas and Silas, leading men among the brethren, and they sent this letter by them. The apostles and the brethren who are elders to the brethren in Antioch and Syriac and Cilicia, who are the Gentiles, greetings. Since we have heard that from of our number to whom we gave no instruction have disturbed you with their words and settling your souls, it seems good to us, having become of one mind, to select men to send to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore we have sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will also report the same things by the word of mouth. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these essentials. Do you abstain from things sacrificed to idols and from blood and the things strangled from fornication? If you keep yourselves free from such things, you will do well. Farewell. Let's go a little prayer. Our Father, we ask every time we gather to open up your word, you would do the same thing. We ask that you would do it yet again. 
to open our hearts so we'd receive your word and our mind to understand it, our eyes and our ears, our mouth, our hands, our feet, our very being, that we would be transformed by the gospel. Would you be so kind? Lord, may I decrease so that you can increase. In the name of your son we pray. Amen. Be seated. Well, isn't it kind of good to know that church splits aren't a new phenomenon? Like I've, I've been in church life my whole life, and I could give you story after story of churches who are the result of splits, and churches who have recently split, or, or whatever it might be, some of them over personality, some of them over policy, some of them over vision, some of them over, uh, uh, were over division that had taken generations to finally come to a head. But church splits are not new. They are never pretty, but they are not new. But this split isn't just among personalities or uh, longtime neighbors or anything like that. What is at risk here is a split within Christianity. The Christianity will, on one hand, become Gentile, on the other hand, become Jewish. Thus, as a result, it would cease to become Christian. What happens here in Jerusalem uh, is, is, is very, very serious. Now, I, I looked up one church split that always comes to mind. I cannot verify it in any of my old seminary notes, even reach out to my professor. But if, if I remember the story right, which I probably have details wrong, some church in uh, pioneer times split over the question. Again, if I'm right, my memory serves me right, over the question, uh, what would you do if we were bombarded by a group of Native Americans who threatened to kill us, Right. And your answer to that determined which church you chose. The church ended up splitting over that. And they called each other names like the biblical church and the uh, martyr church or whatever it is. You know. And I, again, I can't verify that, but I remember something like that in, in seminary. Um, but this split you have here is over the identity of Christianity. Now, remember historically what we have here. The, the church is still a few years old, and the Christianity was conceived within the heart of Judaism, or within the womb of Judaism, we should say. Jesus was a Jewish man. In every way, he was a Jew. He was an ethnic Jew, a religious Jew. Uh, he was a Jew. And the first believers were all Jews. The 12 disciples were uh, sons of, of Abraham. And, and so it, it doesn't take long to see that Christianity is early on seen as a sect of Judaism. You can read the ancient literature of Roman historians. They will often confuse Christianity and Judaism or merge them. And, and there's some legitimate reasons for that. And, and we, we can understand why people would come to that conclusion. The challenge becomes whenever Christianity goes into the Gentile world, and, and Luke has been preparing us. If you've been reading through your, your readings, uh, in bits and pieces we see the gospel go into the Gentiles. And what you have are Jews accepting that the same gospel that saved them will save the Gentiles, and the broader Jewish believers, or just Jews in general, accepting a group of Jews proclaiming Christ and, and grace alone. After all, we saw in Lystra, who was it that, that stirred up the crowd, the stone, Paul, and Barnabas? It was the Jews from Iconium. This has been the pattern throughout uh, the book of Acts. Well, now it comes uh, to, to, to a climax. Something must be done here. Now, the issue that seems uh, to, 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 that needs to be addressed is circumcision, but we need to see it is bigger than that. It is, what is salvation? How can one be saved? 
Does it entail works or is it by grace alone? Verses 1 to 5, we get the conflict here, and it's introduced right in verse 1. Some men came down from Judea and began teaching the brethren, these are Christians, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. The concern here is that Paul, Barnabas, and the other apostles, when they go to the Gentiles, they leave behind their Jewish identity. But if Christianity is a Jewish religion, it requires Jewish observances. Most notable here would be circumcision, and on top of that would be that uh, of, of other uh, Jewish rites. Um, now, isn't it great to know that Christians have always been complaining in church? You read this, I'm thinking, I've, I've been to this business meeting before, right? You know, um, and their assertion was salvation depended upon observance of the Mosaic law. The suggestion is bigger than circumcision, though circumcision is obviously a part of it, because you don't enter the community of faith apart from circumcision. Right? This, this, is, this is key. If you want to embrace Judaism, you will embrace circumcision. That is often the, the hang-up, particularly among Gentiles. They don't want to go through that process. And so for the Jews, we are Jews, and you know who a Jew is by circumcision. Now, on top of that would be other things, as we'll see, Sabbath laws, dietary laws, festivals, and stuff like that. Now, the Jews at this time do have a process of welcoming Gentiles into their faith. So they're not exclusive in the sense that no Gentile was welcome. We meet some of them, but they really fall into two categories. One category are those of the proselytes. You can do a quick word study of that word, and you'll meet a few proselytes in the New Testament, the Gospels and Acts. Proselytes are those who go all the way. They are Gentiles who embrace Judaism to the full hilt, right? Minus the actual racial uh, role in it, right? They, they can't change their ethnic makeup or their DNA. But they do go through circumcision. They observe Sabbath laws, the dietary laws. They go to Jerusalem during all the festivals. And we meet some of them, again, in the New Testament. But there were those who wanted to observe the Jewish religion, but were unwilling to go all the way. Right? And these were called God-fearers in the New Testament. Again, you'll meet them in the Gospels and, and, and the Acts. Maybe you've come across them in your reading. You can do a, a, a quick uh, word search in your, your Bible app if you're looking for a few examples. These are those who embraced the Jewish religion, monotheistic God, uh, ethic, uh, living, the general uh, moral law, stuff like that. But they did not... Uh, observe all the ritual and ceremonial law. So they, they may have been anticipating the, the Messiah, but they weren't going to refuse to work on the Sabbath, maybe. Or they still liked red meat, right? They, 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 they liked Judaism and believed it to be true, but were unwilling to go all the way. And so Judaism already had this system. You, you had your, your racial Jews who, who had full access to the temple. And then you had your proselyte Gentiles who could only go so far in the temple but had done everything else. Then there were the God-fears who, 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 who would participate but wouldn't go uh, very far. Well, when Christianity comes, they bypassed all of those categories. 
And they said, whether Jew or Gentile, the only thing that matters is faith in Christ alone. This was a radical message to the Gentiles and to the Jews. No wonder then you have conflict here because the Jews, and here these are Jews preaching this, they've been raised to say salvation is largely ethnic. It is religious. It is duty. And here comes these Christian guys who come out of Judaism. They say, no, salvation comes exclusively by faith in Christ. So notice there, Paul and Barnabas show up, and I love the language here, had no small dissension and debate with them. Don't you love that? When you read something like that, I've been in church life a long time. You read something like that. That is a clerk summarizing in a half a sentence, which you know was months of business meeting debates, right? Right? You, you, ever, you, ever, you ever read a good clerk that does a business meeting? You know, like, and there was much debate on the topic. Like, much debate. That means someone didn't get dinner that night, right? <laughs> you know, like, it, it, there was no small dissension. Something tells me Paul loved long dissension, right? Uh, And so here, Paul and Barnabas, they show up and they're just ready to to go, right? Now, what is at stake here? The first thing is the gospel. To get the gospel wrong is to undo the work of Jesus. Is the gospel a matter of works and faith or is it exclusively a matter of faith? By the way, that is still debated today. Still debated today. Most controversies within the church is over the issue, do we really believe the gospel is by grace alone? It's by grace alone. We are always wanting to attach things to the gospel because we think unless you vote like me, act like me, look like me, think like me, then you've, you, 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 you don't have the gospel. And that's the hard part of it is, is it's not too tainted at all. The gospel is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, as revealed by the Bible alone, to the glory of God alone. There you go, the five solas of the Reformation. But it isn't just the gospel that is at stake here. It is church unity. So long as you have these two sides, there will not be unity. The Jews will never recognize Gentile converts as truly saved. Now, do you think that will cause a problem? Imagine, if you will, you are a member at First Baptist Church of Rome, and there is a significant number of a Jewish population who have come to faith. They sit on this side of the church. The Gentiles, they sit on this side of the church. The visitors who don't know any better, they sit in the middle of the church, farthest away from the door, of course. And the preacher preaches, the songs are sang, and and that will not suffice, and it will not survive for long. Because you see, this is deeper than theology. It's down to the bones of one's DNA. And they've converged those. And so this must be addressed. You cannot get the gospel wrong and expect to have church unity. A church can disagree on a host of things, sports teams and specifics of the end times, but the church cannot disagree on the nature of salvation and the person of Christ. Cannot have disagreement on that and still function as a church. So here we have a racial, ethnic, and religious divide. 
And the church is to be bigger than these things. Right? The racial divide is common throughout human history. It's really ancient world. All the empires rise up not because they think they have better ideas about civil government. It's because they think their race and their gods are better than everyone else and everyone else should just die. It's not more complicated than that. The gods made us of stronger stock will prove it to you by invading your nation. I mean, that really is the, the thinking of the ancient world. It is not until Christianity do you not have, let's just all get along, that's Roman thoughts. You do your thing, we'll do our thing, let's all mix together, light a candle, sing the Coca-Cola theme song because we all get along. It is Christianity that says unity is not ethnic or religious or gender specific. Unity is found in the personal work of Jesus. And thus it undoes Babel, that's what we see at Pentecost, across linguistic and racial lines. So in the meantime, while Paul is having no small dissension among them, a number of leaders are summoned to Jerusalem to address the issue that was threatening to split the church between Jew and Gentile. And so Luke highlights the two sides um, demonstrating that Paul was going to defend the faith of the Gentiles, whereas the Pharisees, these were believers, right? Isn't that, isn't that, don't let that comment go away. Uh, where is it there in verse 5? Some of the sect of the Pharisees who had believed stood up. These are the people involved in the execution of Jesus. I mean, let's not miss that. If grace is sufficient for the Pharisees, it's more than sufficient for the Gentiles. They are complicit in the death of their Messiah. That is Peter's preaching on the Pentecost. God gave him to us. You handed him over to the Romans. And yet among them came believers. Now you talk about sin needing to repent. I've done some awful things in my life, like buying my wife uh, funeral flyers. But I've never tried to murder the Messiah, right? Here, grace is sufficient even for them. But they want to hold on to their, to their religious, ethnic identity. There can be no salvation apart from circumcision. And along comes Paul, along comes Peter, and they all say, and Paul, of course, being a Pharisee, saying, we've had to go through this process where we had to say, who am I? Am I my race or am I Christ's? And if, if salvation is, if, if grace is sufficient for my salvation, why is it not sufficient for everyone's salvation? So they have, have this debate. Verses 6 to uh, verse uh, 17, we have uh, the council. Uh, the council gathers, by the way, uh, this is the first ecumenical council. Don't know if you've ever heard that term before. Um, there are several throughout church history. The ones you may be familiar with are Nicaea and Chalcedon. In case you want to know, we are technically, we hold to the uh, uh, Nicaean and Chalcedonian creeds. We never talk about them because you're lost already what it is I'm talking about. But throughout church history, uh, the church comes together uh, ecumenically. Everyone comes together, and they address some major theological issue. Now what we do are uh, conventions, right? Our annual convention, the state convention will meet in November, and uh, we will address any needs, right? Sometimes it's, it's we, we, we've got this issue over here. We need to come to a conclusion. The, the national convention will do the same. We all come together from around the world, and we address certain things that need to be addressed. So we still follow a similar pattern. The, the thinking is that with prayer and by the grace of God and through His Spirit, 
believers who believe in the Bible ought to be able to come together, and what comes out of that should be the Bible. Right? I wish it was always worked out that way, uh, but, but that's the thinking. So you have James here in Jerusalem. Let me just add a footnote here. James is the leader of this council. He's the bishop. This is the half-brother of Jesus who wrote the book. He is the bishop of Jerusalem. Now, we don't use the word bishop, but he is the senior pastor of the church in Jerusalem. Does that help, right? He's the elder. Now, the reason I think that's significant is because as a good Protestant boy, I don't believe in the papacy. And I don't think Peter was the first head of the church. Of course, I think Jesus is the head of the church, the first and the last head of the church. But if you want to point out who's leading the church, it's James, not Peter. But that's just a little footnote. You can do with that whatever you want. And so what, what, what we get here, uh, Peter speaks, Paul and Barnabas speak, and then James speaks. Let me see if I can just summarize uh, a little bit here. My goal is for us to get out early, but you know that is a fool's errand. Um, the first thing they, they, they discuss is salvation is universal, verse 7. Uh, Peter stood up and said to them, Brethren, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you. By my mouth the Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, testified to them, giving to them the Holy Spirit as he did to us. The gospel is universal. God made no distinction, he says in verse 9, between us and them cleansing their, their, their hearts by faith. He said, the same spirit that indwelt you is the same spirit that indwelt them. You think God sees flesh. God sees the heart. Isn't that what David has taught us? Now, notice the implications here. David is saying there are some among you who have the proper surgical procedure of your flesh, yet your heart is just as evil as the Gentiles. This is what the Old Testament means by the uncircumcision of the flesh, or uncircumcision of the heart, rather. Jeremiah warns against this. Jesus says essentially the same. You are whitewashed tombs to the Pharisees, beautiful and clean on the outside, but on the inside you are dead. So too, how many people have come to our churches? They say really good prayers. They serve very faithfully but their hearts have never surrendered to Jesus. And then there are some who can come through here. Their life is a struggle for righteousness, but man, they, they, they have given their hearts and the Lord is working on them. Why is it we see only the outside, but never the inside? It's not always easy, I get that. But Peter's implications here are so important. God sees the heart and that it comes by faith, not through a knife. But some, he warns, are those who, who want to see it the other way. And that is dangerous. Salvation is universal. It is for everyone. And we still believe that to this day. That is why uh, the gospel we preach here in 21st century Frankfurt is the same gospel we will preach in the village of Dargol, Niger, Africa, in the 21st century. Uh, it's the same gospel. Secondly, salvation, they show, is by grace alone. Look at verse 10. Now, therefore, why do you put God to the test? By placing upon the neck of the disciples a yoke which neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear. Uh, I mean, we were in David right now. Are you disappointed with David? You should be, right? 
Because when we started this journey, like, oh, David, the man after God's own heart. 2 Samuel 11 hits. Eh, about that whole man after God's own heart thing. It don't look like it, right? The dude's a mess. How many of the kings start off so well, but man, they, they don't finish well? David, Solomon, Hezekiah. And then their kids take over and it's far worse. Even those who had a good reign. Well, the Bible's full of just terrible human beings whom God identifies as being among his people. And his point is, is to say, you are putting a yoke on Gentiles. Our heroes of the faith cannot and did not keep. Oh, in case you think yourself righteous, you can't keep it. That's the problem with religion. Religion is the art of putting a yoke on someone else's neck that you yourself are exempt from carrying. So you think that salvation comes through all these means that you, don't, you can't keep them all. You can't keep all the rules. You can't. So why would you do that? Salvation instead is by grace. He says as much, verse 11, we believe we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way as they also. Notice how he flips it. It's a great summary of the gospel, by the way, verse, verse 11 there. We are saved by grace through Jesus. That is the gospel in a nutshell. You can tweet that and still have characters left over. Notice he doesn't say they are saved as we are. We are saved as they are. You see how he flips it? Because it's the Jews here saying, you all have to come meet where we are. And here comes Peter saying, no, no, no I think you got it backwards. We need to come to faith as they already have. Because you are demonstrating you still trust in your race. You still trust in your ethnicity. You still trust in your ancestry. You still trust in your upbringing. You still trust in the way you think things ought to be, the way you experience them, the, and your legalism. You still trust in that, demonstrating you've yet to come to a full appreciation of the gospel. If only you Jews, Peter is saying, could be like these Gentiles. It's a wonder they didn't stone them there. Thirdly, Salvation comes by the Spirit. Verse 12, all the people kept silent. They were listening to Barnabas and Paul as they were relating what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. By the way, this is hinted at earlier in verse 8. God who knows the heart testified to them, given them the Holy Spirit. You don't have to have time to go into this, but if you're interested to study the Holy Spirit in Acts, you'll notice that it, for the most part, it follows Acts 1.8. The Spirit comes down and people speak in languages in Jerusalem. It then is hinted at in Samaria and Judea, and then it happens among the Gentiles. So the Spirit shows up with every people group in the Jewish mind. Uh, uh, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the Gentiles. And this will show up later when Paul interacts with the uh, believers uh, of John the Baptist. They receive the same spirit and they have the same experience. So Paul comes in verse 12 and he says, Just as God did miraculous things in your midst, dear Jews, he's done the same thing among the Gentiles. Wow, what's the same here? It is grace. And, and God's grace comes by the means of the spirit. We are saved by the spirit of God. Fourthly, salvation is revealed by scripture. This is verses 13 to 18. James speaks, and he quotes from a variety of passages. So if you have a reference Bible, it should show you this. Amos 9, 11 to 12, with references to Jeremiah 12, 15, and Isaiah 45, 12. Now, this reference to Amos should, should really stick out to you because Amos is hoping for a restored Israel and the line of David. 
So he's looking for the rebuilt temple and all that sort of stuff. Now, the early Christians saw the Messiah and the inclusion of the Gentiles as the fulfillment of the Davidic reign. Remember that with David, we saw that this morning with the Gittites and, and all, all those people. We, we, we don't know who they are um, because we don't want to Google it and because we can't pronounce their names. Right? Those are all Gentiles. Remember, Ittai, the, the, the Gishai, whatever he was, right? He was a Gentile, right? He's an exile. Well, David is bringing the nations into his kingdom. That was the point of Israel. But Amos looks forward and he says, a day will come when all this will be restored. And here come the Christians saying, that happened in Christ. When all the nations are gathered under the banner of the kingdom of God. So through the son of David, the nations have been grafted into the kingdom of God. This was the original purpose of Israel. Through your seed, God told Abraham, the nations will be blessed. And that was not ultimately fulfilled until Christ was risen from the dead. So that's the council, right? They all get together. They have their seminars and their meetings and smart people get up and they just, they, they have a business meeting, right? You were wondering business meetings are in the Bible. I have no doubt they had a moderator named James. They followed, uh, uh, what's, what's the uh, rules of law? What is that? Someone help me here. Robert's rules and law, or, and rules and whatever, right? And, and, and whoever that guy was, boy, you imagine trying to date him? Ladies, come on. Can you imagine, right? This, this date will happen by this, right? And we're not going to break the Robert's rules of dating. Well, well, you know, I have no doubt they had that, right? I mean, I'm joking, of course. But, but they, 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 they had a business meeting, if, if it helps. So there you go. I don't know if they voted or not, or, or maybe what Luke is using here as a reference was the notes from the clerk. I don't know. I'll let you, you decide. Uh, you pray about it, I guess. But So that's the council, right? They, they come together, they hash it out, they address the issue. Finally, there is the contract, verses 18 to 21. Although the Jerusalem council rightly concludes that salvation is by faith alone, they did ask the Gentiles to uh, observe certain practices. I actually think this is really practical. Because remember, the two issues here is the gospel and church unity. Which means, even if you get the gospel rights, that does not guarantee church unity. If you don't believe me, visit any church in America right now. Okay? Ask their story. Ask about their history. They have believed in the gospel, yet there have been complications. Is that fair to say? Read the New Testaments. The Philippian people believed in the gospel, but there's risk of, of disunity. The Corinthian people, you talk about disunity. They believe the gospel at the risk of disunity. So what, what they do here is they're asking Gentiles, saying this is the gospel and it applies to everyone universally. However, given that there are Jews and Gentiles within the church... We ask, to use Pauline language, strong Christians here at Gentiles to be sensitive to, to, to weak Christians here would be the Jews. So they say, we, we recommend you follow these four things, okay? So, so what you don't have here is their salvation and these four things. 
Rather, it is, here is the gospel, but for the sake of unity, let us acknowledge and practice and respect these areas that your Jewish brothers and sisters are sensitive about, okay? And they are laid out in verse 20. These are four restrictions. First, food offered to idols. Now, remember, any form of idolatry, anything attached to idolatry was an abomination to a Jew. Now, we read this and we're thinking, food offered to idols, what in the world are you talking about? Well, if we were to put this in American context, it would be, would you shop somewhere at a business who supports policies and politicians we have strong disagreements with? Have you had that conversation with a Christian yet? You've started that conversation with someone yet, haven't you? I had a a dear loving someone I I strongly respect. I was drinking my large Coca-Cola with no ice to the glory of God from McDonald's. Being a man named McDaniel, um, I feel like I deserve some of that money, you know, family fun. But nevertheless, right, I'm drawing my tall glass of McDonald's and someone says, I just, I just can't shop there anymore. Why, how can any Christian eat at McDonald's? Like, because it's a dollar. That's how you can do it, right? And it tastes better than the gas station Coca-Cola. You, you prove me wrong, right? You know I'm right. No, their food isn't great, but it's cheap. You got kids, you need cheap food. You don't care about, you don't care. I'll be gone when they start going to the doctor with serious problems and they'll blame me feeding them McDonald's. I'll be gone by them to the glory of God, right? Not my problem, right? It's cheap and that's all I can afford. But what are they concerned with? By the way, those who have no sense of humor, that is a joke, right? My wife cares about what they eat. Um, um, But their concern was McDonald's came out in favor of gay marriage. So now it is, how can you call yourself a Christian if you buy Apple products? If you shop at Walmart? If, if you like hot wings of Buffalo Wild Wings? If you get your chicken at, I don't know, KFC? I don't know what their policies are. I'm making it up at this point. And we do live in an age where what you buy is supposedly a demonstration of what you believe. Have you noticed that? It's because politics has become our great idol. And it is, this is across the board. Well, of course I eat Chick-fil-A. I'm a Christian. <laughs> we don't even eat on Sundays anymore because Chick-fil-A is not open. Right? I love crafts. And I only shop it at, at a Hobby Lobby. I don't know who Michael is, but he ain't getting my money. Right? You know that's a joke if you met my wife. But, but we, we do this. We do this. It's not really that much different than meat offered to idols. Think about what, why would you offer, why would you eat meat offered as a Christian? I'll tell you why you do it. You go down there. You're not getting out early. Now I'm on a row. So, so you, you would go down and you would say, these, these Looney Tune pagans over here, look at them. They offered this meat to idols. And you want to know, know what happened to the meat? Nothing happened to the meat because they're not real. So they put it on clearance after it sits in front of the wooden idol for, for six hours. They, they put it on clearance, and here I come, the Christian thinking, why would I pay twice the, the money for that meat when I can get this meat and I can benefit from their foolishness? That makes sense to me. Because me and Clarence go way back, okay? Right? But if you're a Jew... And you're a new believer going to the First Baptist Church of Corinth. And you know, most of that congregation has come out of extreme idolatry. I mean awful stuff. 
And you've been raised to believe anything associated with idolatry, you should run from at the risk of the judgment of God. And you go to the church potluck, you're going to celebrate your 10th anniversary as a church plants. And there it sits, fried chicken from the local pagan cultic worship spot. You going to eat it? We'll complain about where your tea came from today. I don't think we need to act like we're superior. You can see why this is an issue. It's a big issue. It's a very big issue. Never I was a teenager, I made the mistake of playing a rock song. When I, my rock. I'm not talking about like Queen, okay? That, I probably should have you know, been thrown out playing some Queen. But, but, but I was playing a Christian uh, rap, rap core band, and, and they misheard a word. But it wasn't the word they misheard. It was the style of music that they associated with, with nothing that was godly. How did I respond? Well, I'm just better than you. How did they respond? Everyone panicked. They're all going to hell now. We have the same conversations today, don't we? We do. Now, Paul will pick up this issue of food offered to idols later in the New Testament, Corinth and other places. And he uses that language of strong and weak Christian. And the way it works is, is let's say you're a strong Christian, not a better Christian, but in this sense, your conscience is more clear on this issue. And we'll get to that in a minute. Well, you're not going to get out early. You may get out late. And, and he says, you invite your weak Christian over. Please, he says, buy the more expensive meat. Why would you sever fellowship with your fellow believer when you're both on the spectrum of sanctification? Love them to greater holiness. Don't prove your self-righteousness. That's inappropriate. Secondly, sexual immorality. Now, let me just, this is the one that sticks out uh, because the the three of the four are clearly uh, Jewish ritualistic things. Um, meat offered to, to idols, meat from strangled animals, blood, right? That's a big deal to the Jews. Sexual immorality, right? That's, that seems pretty standard. Don't do that. Paul makes it very clear to all of his Gentile readers in Corinth, you're doing things that the Gentiles wouldn't do. That's bad, right? That is bad. So, so some think he still has, the, 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 the early church has the ritual issues. What you may have here is, Sexual immorality related to pagan Gentile practice of temple prostitution. I, I, I don't know, um, but it could just be broadly referring to sexual sin. The idea here is not there is liberty with this issue, but to emphasize this is a big hanka. You must let it go. This is inappropriate, I, uh, but there's some debate. And thirdly, meat from strangled animals. Strangling an animal meant that the blood of the animal remained in it, and that was an unclean way to procure meat. This is a big hang-up for the Jews. Because, fourthly, blood. Gentiles were to avoid consuming blood. Uh, I, I like, I like medium-rare steak to the glory of God to this day, right? But we're all Gentiles, okay? I like my bacon not to be so crispy that if you dare to pick it up with gentle hands, it crumbles, right? Uh, you know, like Thanos has snapped. Anyone cares about that reference? No, no, I, I, want, I want my bacon to be meaty. I want to know that thing was once alive, right? To the glory of God. But, but it, 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 where, where you have Jews coming in, you don't want anything where there is still blood in the meat. And they're just asking, be sensitive to your fellow uh, uh, fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, again, these restrictions does not define the gospel, but it allows unity between two parties to be possible. Now, Paul, again, will we'll address these in more detail later. We've already looked at some of these. 
What we need to see is this is a model of exercising Christian liberty with grace. Can I give you just three words of application as quickly as I can? Number one, salvation is by faith alone, through grace alone, in Christ alone. And that is non-negotiable. Salvation is by faith alone, through grace alone, in Christ alone. Secondly, only the gospel can unite the people of God. They have to get the gospel right before they can do the practical matters. Because you can do the practical matters all you want, but if you don't get the gospel right, what are you going to sing about? What are you really unified about? What are you really celebrating if you get the gospel wrong? Tribalism is a curse upon the gospel. And we have become a tribal society because we have forsaken the gospel. And that's happened within the church. Thirdly and finally, Christian liberty is a scary category for most Christians. If you don't believe me, let me take you back. This is a historical reference, so it may be new to some of you all. The year was 2020. And for two years, we fought over issues that we as a church put in the category of Christian liberty. You know what they were. Vaccines and masks. How do you lead a congregation where a third of the people say, if you wear a mask, you're a sheep? And, the other, and a third says, if you don't wear a mask, then you're trying to kill grandma. And there's a third that has no idea what to think about it. How do you lead a congregation like that? You have a third who says, if you get the vaccine, it's the mark of the beast. You'd be surprised how many of those messages I got. And then a third one says, if you don't get the vaccine, you're a murderer. I say mark of the beast. It's really you're, you're just giving money to the man and you're a sheep of the government and all that sort of stuff. And there's a third who genuinely don't know what to do. How do you lead a church in that way? How do you lead a society, a school system, your home, your family in that way? Why is it we spent two years arguing vaccines and masks and never once cared all that much about the gospel? There are a lot of vaccinated and unvaccinated people who died and went to hell because we're scared to death of Christian liberty. We're scared to death of it because we think we're forsaken the gospel, but you're not. There are things as a Christian, there is liberty to disagree without redefining the gospel and church unity by them. Surely we can come to the conclusion that medical decisions might be a conversation you have with your doctor more than your favorite politician and your echo chamber, certainly from the people you share a Sunday school class with. One of the frustrations we had as, uh, with the deacons and whatnot was we have felt that if we went to the left, we would have grown as a church during COVID. Had we gone to the right, we would have grown as a church during COVID. But because we decided to choose biblical categories of liberty, refusing to forsake the gospel, and aware that we don't know everything that's going on, we're stuck in the middle, and that's not good enough in our tribal times. It's been an area of frustration. Is it really much different than one side of the church says you must be circumcised? Another side of the church says, I refuse to be circumcised. And there's those in the middle who don't understand the conversation or what to do. Preacher, if I get circumcised, is that the mark of the beast? Is it really all that different? 
We would do well, I think, if we learned from the Jerusalem Council. Well, let's try to get out here at least a minute or two early. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.